real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by a new sponsor, 10 to 8com If you own a business, you likely need a way to schedule appointments. The service I use and recommend is 10 to 8. What I like about them is they offer a generous free option that allows you to take payment for appointments. Other amazing features include appointment reminders via email and SMS and two-way client chat. 10 to 8 integrates with Zoom, Microsoft Teams, online payment providers, calendar apps, and more. To learn more, go to 10 to8.com forward slash frugalpreneur. That's 10to8.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is a business growth strategist and the founder of the Independent Podcast Conference. He has helped startup entrepreneurs with pennies in the bank and established nine-figure businesses that need the adjustments to stay on a growth track. Welcome to the show, Super Joe Pardo. Thank you so much for having me, Super Sarah. How are you feeling today? <laughs> Good. I love that, Super Sarah. I'm curious where the super came from. I'm sure you get asked that all the time. I, I do. So one of my closest friends, like a brother to me, he was working with me at the time. I've known him since I was six years old, but he was working with me as an office mate at the shop, at my family's company. And I was going through a tough time and he drew this picture of Super Joe Pardo flying through the clouds. Like you can, you can actually see it on my website if you go to my about page. And I asked him, why did you draw this? And he said, it's like, cause you're trying to always do the best for yourself and the people around you and raise yourself up as well as the other people again around you. So for me, that's really what it's all about. It's not about me being awesome. It's about me helping raise other people around me and bring the super out of them. And that's why he chose to draw it. I put it, I was like, oh, that's cute. I put it in my desk. And then that was in 2006. And then 2014, I left my family's business. I happened to find it. I guess it was actually closer to 2015. And I was like, oh, I wonder if superjoeparter.com is available. And it was. And I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to take it. And then about a year and a half later, I leaned into it and moved all of my branding over to that. So it's been that way since I think the beginning of 2017 and to 2016. That's an interesting story. I was always kind of curious about that. I guess for people who aren't familiar with you, can you give us a little background on your history, how you got started in entrepreneurship and podcasting in particular? Yeah. So I, I grew up, like I said, I grew up in my family's businesses in the trucking industry. They, you know, my family goes back into like the sixties and seventies with trucking. And my grandfather started up the part of truck service parts warehouse. So it was the parts end of the repair shop business that my great uncle, his brother was heading up with my great grandfather. And I grew up in there, right? I, I was sweeping floors, counting inventory from starting around the age of six, seven years old. To me, I always had a passion for creating things, storytelling, always had a passion for bringing people together, even from a young age. So for me, it's all about bringing the super out of people. And I felt that way since I was quite young, actually. So grew up in that company, went through the ranks, worked in the warehouse, you know, sweeping floors, count inventory, all the way up to working at the counter, selling parts to sales position, all the while running the IT. So I've been a tech head since I was about seven, eight years old, loving technology, started building websites when I was about 10 and 96, uh, writing all about video games and things of that nature and, and all that. So I have a huge content creation background, got into DJing around the age of 10, but didn't really start to get in that until about 17 when I had met some people that could help with that, which was great because it got me out of my shell, my shyness, like, oh, I'll just sit behind a computer, play video games and have a great time. So when you combine all those things, and then working my way up to the COO position of the company, which was it was a hundred million dollar company when I chose to leave in 2014. It took about three to four four years of deciding whether or not I really wanted to stay, what I wanted to do. I still didn't even know what I wanted to do when I left. It didn't end well. My dad wasn't happy. My rest of my family wasn't happy that I was leaving. And I still didn't know. I, I went back to school to make that decision. I mean, I, at least to try to get a degree if I'm going to. I, I wasn't a, much of a school head growing up or when I got out of high school. So didn't finish college, 
went back to started going back to college. I left in 2014. It wasn't like I said, it wasn't a great breakup. Ended in a fist fight between me and my dad. And ultimately, about a month after I left the company, my first DJ album had just come out. It was Pixar's Up, told the storytelling of Pixar's Up, told through Disney music and hip hop instrumentals mashed up together called Adventuratorium. You can actually still find it on my website. And there's a like, I think like a $10 download or something. You can get the MP3 files and, and all that. But anyway, that was a, well, a real eye opener for me because that album took like three months to put together. And I was like super excited about it. We raised money for Give Kids the World charity at the time. I was on a plane to Disney World almost a month after I had left the company. And I was doing a bunch of podcast interviews on Disney shows to promote the album and get it out there. And I was flying to Disney with a friend of mine to run a race. And I was like, hey, is there any other shows that I haven't been on? He's like, oh, have you heard of? And I'm going to say the name here because I'm sure most of the people listening to this show probably have listened to or will listen to it. Entrepreneur on Fire. Have you heard of that? And this, again, this is in 2014. So the show and his show, John's show, hadn't existed very long. I was like, oh, wow, there's there's shows of just people interviewing people. And I was like, that's really interesting. I was like, I know a ton of people in business. Like, I could totally do it. I'm having a lot of fun doing these interviews on on these podcasts. I, I was like, I know a lot more people like living their dreams and their passions and, and really people doing incredible things all over the world already. I was like, you know what? I'm going to start the Dreamers podcast. So the plane landed. I registered the domain name, the Twitter handle, Facebook page before we got to the rental car. Two weeks later, since I already had a recording background and my friend Al Kessel, who I was just interviewed on his show, hooked me up with some of the, the things I needed to get the podcast up and running as far as the tech side. Two weeks later, I had my first episode out. And then I went from one episode to three episodes, then the five episodes a week. And then was like, okay, I need, I want to write some books. I want to do speaking engagements and coaching businesses, maybe life coaching. I wasn't quite sure at the time. I was still trying to figure out what I wanted, which is also kind of part of the whole Dreamers podcast thing was figuring out, helped me figure out what I wanted to do, which in turn opened up so many doors, so many amazing people and stories and things got, that were told that weren't told otherwise, because a lot of the guests I had weren't guess anywhere else, which was a kind of an important thing. For the people who listen to Entrepreneur on Fire, I've listened to one episode and I listened to it, I think about two years after I started mine. As a creator, I think it's important that we don't take in too much content, too much outside influence. And that's why I chose, I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to listen to it. And eventually I did. I listened to one episode. I forget which one it was, but like I said, it was like two years later. I just to see like, what is it all about? I've met John. I had John on my show at one point, but yeah, it's just, I think it's important that you figure out what you're really interested in and maybe taking content about that rather than taking in content about what you're creating content because you don't want to sound like that person. You don't want to mimic that person. You want it to be your own. And if you are going to listen to it, then take it with the ability to analyze what they're doing, why they're doing it and make it your own. So yeah, so I, I, you know, I ended up speaking at the United Nations, one podcast of the year, a business podcast of the year in 2017 from podcastawards.com. And I've just, you know, spoken all over the country as well as tons of online stuff now that, you know, 2020 was the thing. And yeah, I, I ended up creating the independent podcast conference because I, like I said, I love bringing people together. Growing up, I would go to my family's vendor night. We would have a annual, it was a kind of like a, thank you to our customers. So they'd come in, there's a bunch of vendors, you pass through all the vendor booths, and then you go to a, a free buffet and open bar. And we did it every single year. I think it was the week after or the week before Valentine's Day. I think it was like six hours long. So I grew up going to that, grabbing all the pens and things off the table. And I always loved putting events together. So when I got older, I put a lot of LAN parties together, local area network where everyone bring their computers together. And like I said, I was a gamer, still I'm a gamer. When I got into DJing more, I was putting on raves and parties and things of that nature. So I've always put to the, and I've volunteered at conventions as well. So I was like, I've always been involved with some kind of event planning, some kind of thing. So in December of 2014, I decided to put together the Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference, which eventually became the Independent Podcast Conference. And it's actually worth transitioning now to the Independent Creator Conference because Super Sarah, we are podcasting, but we're also creating YouTube content. We're all You're also probably going to create a blog post about this for the SEO. You're also going to create uh, a thumbnail for that YouTube video. You're going to create all these things 
And that makes you a creator, not just a podcaster. We've had an annual event every year, the uh, second weekend of September, right outside of Philadelphia. Our fifth year, we held it in Atlantic City, which was pretty awesome. And this year, we're holding it September 11th. It was supposed to be three days long, cut down to just uh, one day this year because of COVID and just to make it because there's there's not people coming from out of country this year. Uh-huh. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just we'll just do one day is fine for mm-hmm. this year. At least it's in person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm guessing you didn't have it last year, probably. Last year, I did 10 virtual conferences that we did for free into the Facebook group, which grew our Facebook group from like 500 or 450 people. We're at like 30. 600 people or something like that right now, uh, something like that. So it grew our, our community exponentially by doing those free events through 2020. In September 2020, we did one, instead of doing it into the Facebook group, we did a Zoom call and we did an 80s theme. So everybody got dressed up in their favorite 80s garb. It was a lot, a lot of fun. It was a two day event and yeah, it was, it was a really wonderful time. And it was more face to face than like us streaming into a group and people chatting and making it happen that way. But yeah, it was, it was a great time. Don't want to do it again. <laughs> I want to do it in person. Mm-hmm. There was something you mentioned earlier that I thought was really interesting about focusing on not taking in a bunch of content, but creating content. And I think that's different than what some people say, but it makes sense because I found for me and probably most people is that we spend so much time taking in content, podcasts, YouTube videos, books, whatever, which I think is good to do to a certain degree. But then we don't have time left to do our own thing or to implement what we're learning. And so I I thought that was a really good thing that you pointed that out there to focus more on creation than consumption, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I think it's just about being really intentional, right, with what you're going to take in. If you take in stuff that you actually enjoy. So like I talk about business on my channel, right? And on on my YouTube channel, on on the podcast and all that. But what I take in, like when I watch YouTube is mostly photography and video, you know, videography content, how to get better at that kind of stuff. All these other interests I'm in, computer technology, that kind of stuff. And then what I do is I watch them and I say, you know, I can take that, you know, that technique that they just did there. And now I can apply it to business, you know, my business video or my business content. And it's going to be original because like nobody's doing it over there like that or something to that effect. Plus, I put my own spin on I take well, look at what they're doing, take a, you know, take my own spin on it and then put it into mine. But the thing is, is I'm not taking the content because it's not relevant. We're talking about technology, like, oh, here's this new processor, this new video card, this new camera. That's not the important part. The important part is how they're displaying it, right? How they're showing it off, how they're talking about, to, you know, really dissect the, the very bare basics of what they're doing. And then take that and say, how can I apply that basis? Even when I listen to the radio, like I, I know radio is <laughs> dead and all, but I do listen. I look, I live in Philly. We love our sports teams. And I listen to sports radio when I, especially when I'm in the car, but sometimes when, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, actually, I'm missing it right now is some really great hosts are on legendary hosts are on Saturdays and Sundays. But the point being is, is that I want to hear how do those hosts approach when phone call per the person calling in on the phone acts weird or says something that they weren't expecting or or something like that? Like, how are they reacting to it? And then taking that knowledge and applying it to how I'm going to react to things, how I'm going to implement things. I mean, I'm listening for the content, but I'm really listening for like how they react to things, how they do things, and then taking that and applying it to myself and my content. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense to whenever you're watching or listening to something or reading something to see how you can apply it and then implement that pretty much right away versus just filing it in your brain, assuming you'll remember it, and then you totally forget about it. And then it was a waste of time in a way. One new thing that I've noticed that you're doing that I think is really interesting is doing those YouTube videos about Shark Tank. I guess you call them like Tales from the Tank, or that's what you've referred to them as. Well, that's the interview. That's the interview. Oh, the interviews. Okay. Yeah, the interviews that with the business owners that have been on Shark Tank. So to date, I've done three of them. I have two, three of them in the in the works. One of them scheduled, two of them we're working on getting scheduled. I've done that, but the their biz coach reacts videos. Oh yeah. That's so it. I'm the biz coach and I'm reacting. Like and that's the whole angle from it. And I've done Shark Tank, I've done Bar Rescue, mm-hmm. I've done The Profit, and I've done Undercover Billionaire. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've been watching Undercover Billionaire as well. But yeah, I think that was that's so interesting that how did you get the idea? Because I've actually had an idea for I watch every episode of Shark Tank. And if there's someone on that they started with nothing or very little money and then they didn't get any kind of loans or credit or venture capital or any of that stuff. And they grew their business. I think that's particularly interesting. So I've been thinking about like getting those particular people on my show, but I'm curious how you got the idea to do it, how you're doing it. I mean, reaction videos were big through, especially through 2020, but I mean, there's been reaction videos for a while. Like I think 2017, 2018 is when they really like the undergroundness of it started to pick up. And then it really took off in 2020 because people were home by themselves, want to hang out with their friends. They're not hanging out with their friends. They don't have the technical prowess to like watch it together. Like, ooh, let's set up the camera so we'll watch the same thing and start. I mean, I've heard stories of people doing that, right? They they start the movie at the same exact time and then they they watch it together, which I think is great. Whatever we can do to make they, everybody feel better about this you know, crummy situation. So the idea actually came out of PewDiePie is when he when he started doing his whole reaction videos to more than just his own subreddit that he has. That's when I was like, huh, this is really interesting. And and I was like, you know, I, I could take this and apply it to what I'm doing. Now, he wasn't the first one to do reaction videos. He just happened to be the one that I guess I don't watch a whole whole lot of YouTubers outside of the tech sphere and and Doug DeMiro. <laughs> Shout out to him because he's in cars. But for me, it was like, this is a really interesting take. I could apply this to the business world, right? And I started doing some the profit episodes and run up with a lot of issues in along the way. It's not been easy because of copyright claims and things like that. And yeah, I could go and try to get the permission to do it and all that. But it's just easier for me to just kind of skirt it for now and then work about getting permission. <laughs> but I've talked to a copyright lawyer who's a friend of mine and he's like, what you're doing is in fair use. He's like, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, their copyright claim bot is like, ooh, picking up, ooh, it's a copyrighted material. But it, it's still, it, like if you went to court, if they actually went to court, which you wouldn't, they would just take the video down, which is why that series, the BizCoach React series is on YouTube and not on my podcast. Because I don't want to get a letter. I don't need a letter from ABC. I don't need a letter letter from NBC, right? Like, I, just take the video down. No big deal. No harm, no foul. We'll, move, we'll all move on with our lives. Versus getting a letter and then like, yeah. But he's like, even then, he's like, you're fine. You're well within your reasonable fair use claim there. Because of the fact that we're talking over the video, because we're talking, you know, pausing the video, extending what is essentially a six-minute clip to... 15 minutes to 20 minutes. It's not like it's a, well, we're just trying to play the video. And, and believe me, I've gotten every comment under the sun saying, shut up and play the video. Like nobody wants to hear you talk. Well, nobody wants to hear your comment because I'm still getting subscribers as you're posting these comments. And ultimately you're just helping the channel grow by commenting that. Sorry, not <laughs> sorry. But I do, I do appreciate them commenting and watching because they are helping the mm. channel. Yeah, that's a good point. And then how do you decide which of the contestants you actually want on to interview? So it's been a lot of them reaching out to mm. me because they they find out that the video is up there. And maybe in some cases, they don't have access to the whole video if they didn't, like, say, record it or something to that effect on their end. They've mostly have reached out to me to do the interviews. And there's quite a few in my backyard here outside of Philadelphia that I want to still get to. I just was saying before the interview, I went to Dino Don's house in Media PA. I, I went Thursday. There's a ton of them. I'd love to get, you know, especially ones that are around here or ones that want to fly in or have a reason to fly into the Philly area or I mean I don't know if I would fly, drive all the way up to New York for it but maybe depending on who it is depending on the situation I'll drive up to New York like hey we, we're gonna meet up with with Damon John or, or Barbara Corcoran like yeah sure let's make that happen we'll get together and do an interview about it the experience so oh that's yeah. <laughs> now that's an interesting idea you could try to get someone on the show who received an offer and then somehow try to get the shark on with them the shark that invested in them i mean that would probably be pretty difficult. oh yeah 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 i mean it's but we'll see right as the channel grows as everything grows the opportunities are there right i have friends who are like friend like friend friends with damon john so it's not impossible, but I haven't gone out of my way to ask, yo, when can I hook up and get an interview with Damon John? Like, that's cool. It's not really my goal, right? My goal with the channel 
is well entertainment and 23 subscribers right now from a thousand the magic thousand to get to monetization on the channel but the goal is to get people to work with me right to to go download the free pdf which right now is the sales rocket go to superjoeparter.com slash rocket to get that and then to work with me on growing their sales working on their team working on their offer working on the process so those, I mean, the three key areas I work on, team, offer, and process. Mm. And so you do both podcasting and YouTube. What do you find are the pros and cons of each? Like if someone hasn't started either and they had to make a decision, I guess what, and it depends on the individual, of course, but what have you found, I guess, to be better for growth and people discovering you? I would say, and I say it with a big sigh, because I think you need both ultimately. But I think if you're just getting started, I think doing YouTube is not easier, but I think it's better. I think if you invest in like a tool like TubeBuddy, uh, which I big proponent of you should definitely go check it out if you're going to do youtube it, it makes the the process a lot easier you don't necessarily need a website to do youtube they have all the cards right like they could turn your channel off tomorrow like it depends on what kind of content you're creating if you're like kind of edgy or if you're kind of i mean i hate to say this because but if you're like i'm going to in one political extreme or the other you might want to think about podcasting instead where you won't as easily be shut down. You own your feed and you have the content. With that said, like you should, if you're going to do YouTube, there's a lot of knowledge you really need to know because you got to be able to back up all those, that footage. You should be able to like, ooh, YouTube's gone. Let's go to Vimeo. Let's go to Rumble. Let's go to some other content provider at that point. Soon to be VOD TV, V-O-D-T-V dot live is coming online soon. It's a, fr- a friend of mine and one of my clients is launching that soon. So all about video on demand, just like interviews like this. It's just for interview content. So like, there's a lot to know. Podcasting is the easier one in the sense that I can pick up my phone. I mean, you can pick up your phone and do video too, but you can just pick up your phone, start talking to your phone and you got the file. There's still a ton of knowledge you need to know for both. I think it's important to have both really. Like, So while I don't put the Biz Coach Reacts videos on my podcast channel, all the original content I do does go there as well as on the YouTube. So it'll be on like the interview I did with Dino Don will be on both platforms. With that said, YouTube will start paying me for those ad, for that ad revenue. I don't have any ads other than my own for the podcast. I think it's really important to focus on one. But as an aside, if you're going to start YouTube, start your email list as early as you possibly can. So at least you're getting those emails so you can always email them later at a later date. And that enables you to have a deeper connection with the people that love your content. But yeah, I I, it, I mean, there's a lot to know about but on both ends of it. And YouTube is not easy. And look, if I didn't do the Shark Tank thing the way that I've done it, my channel would probably still be kind of stagnated in its growth because even having the ability to do videos on certain topics doesn't necessarily mean that there's that many people that are searching for it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there isn't already videos about it. So you got to do a lot of research. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. So you really got to enjoy the uh, the ride, the process, and make the process enjoyable for yourself, whether it's podcasting, blogging, e- just writing emails. So I, I, me, I'm a slow reader. So when I write, I love to write. I don't like to go back and read it. It definitely slows me down in the process of creating written content. But to me, I think YouTube's the easier of the two in some regards, but then in, in, in other regards, it's not. Mm-hmm. Like podcasting is easier as far as the production, but then YouTube might be easier as far as gaining traction, I guess, or being discoverable. Potentially, Yeah. I mean, it, look, it, it's kind of like this. When you go to YouTube, you're like coming to an island and that island has skyscrapers full of people and like busy streets and shops and uh, anything you could possibly want on that island. When you start a podcast, you, you don't even have the dirt there yet. <laughs> you know, you got to like literally build your own dirt and own foundation before you can even start thinking about what kind of buildings are we going to put there, right? What what kind of people are going to be coming to live on that, you know, or, or how are they going to interact with this content and stuff? Like it's things you should be thinking about, but you just have to remember, like you, you should probably have your, you know, well, you should have your own website, not Probably you should have your own website, regardless if it's YouTube or not. But if you aren't technically savvy, but you you really should have a website. 
You really should have a website. So you're like, you build in that foundation so you can build the land. And then you say, okay, like now let's get the people here, right? The actual people, not just the avatar of the per- per- person that we hope is going to be attracted to that. Because in so many cases, we think we know who's going to interact with our content ends up being to- somebody totally different. I think one of the, the great examples of that is my friend Ramona Rice used to do the Gal Pal Sports Podcast. And her whole thing was, helping women be the gal pal to their boyfriends or to their friends of and, and understanding sports better. I think she had less than 20% female listenership because it was mostly guys that wanted to like listen to a girl's take on sports. So you, you start out with the hope and then you have to reassess. Yeah. And what is it uh, about that magic number of a thousand? So once you get up to a thousand subscribers, that means you can have ads run or yeah so right now youtube has just changed their whole policy it used to be there was no ads on any youtube videos until it got to a thousand then you could apply for monetization through their partnership program that changed i think at the beginning june 1st or june 2nd or something like that so now that youtube can run an ad on any video they want that they choose at a thousand you can apply for a partnership program and then you can start to get ad revenue from that you won't get any ad revenue prior to that even if they run ads on your video oh okay so ads can be run on any video now as of yeah as of this month okay but you won't get paid Um, for it uh, until you have a thousand subscribers well, you thousand that you can apply, and then I've heard it takes a month to two months for them to actually get around to apl- to, to to doing that. And then once you're approved, then the clock starts from there for how many views you get, and then you can make anywhere from I think it's like five to fifteen dollars per thousand views. Okay, yeah, all that makes more sense now. Because are you familiar with the Hustle and Flow Chart podcast? I think I've heard of that before. Yeah. Well, they also have a YouTube channel that they're trying to. Like, I think they've had it for a while, but they haven't really done much with it. Well, they recently sent out an email saying they're trying to get to a thousand subscribers and to go follow and click the subscribe or the bell, I guess. And I was like, what is the deal with a thousand subscribers? But now it makes sense. Yeah. I, as of right before this, I was at 20 or 977. So 23, 23 away from the thousand. Again, I, I still have to apply and get approved. So, it, but the thing is, is, and every content creator that I've talked to that I know that's over a thousand said pretty much the same thing. Once you get to a thousand, things just start to exponentially ramp up from there, from the views to the amount of subscribers you get per day and, and all that. And to me, I've tried to find the reasoning for this. Most of the reasoning I found is, is people like to see a high number. Oh, it's over a thousand. Like, so I should subscribe too. Cause that means that that many people have already said yes to you and you must have good content. Otherwise, other videos must be good as well. I have a bit of a different tinfoil hat theory. My tinfoil hat theory is that. And and this might change now that YouTube is just my luck that I would get to a thousand after they've changed their whole look on on video. And I still th- feel like that they probably still want to adhere to this, even if they're adding ads to every video. But it's probably not a coincidence that when you get to a thousand, you apply for monetization and then YouTube is incentivized to push your videos because your video has ads in front of it. They want ultimately they want to make money, but they want you to make money so that you continue to create content to, to feed the the cycle. Mm. Right. So then if they're pushing your video that much harder, all of a sudden it's like, ooh, well, you're getting in front of that many more people and and all that. So my tinfoil hat theory is it's a YouTube cognizant or maybe just the algorithmic decision to say, ooh, we can make an you know an extra buck here. If by put you know putting this video up because we'll get an ad versus that one that doesn't have a thousand or isn't in the partnership program. Now, with that said, if your only monetization route is YouTube mon- ad revenue, that's really bad. It should be like maybe a third of your money should come from that, right? Or less. Maybe a quarter of it comes from that. A quarter of it comes from maybe Amazon affiliates, which I am not a part of, but you can go to any of the other affiliates programs out there. And then you have your own programs. You have your own services. You have your own, you know, using it as marketing to fuel the, the actual business engine. So I, I think that. I'm looking forward to it because of the fact that people that are watching these Shark Tank videos, not all of them are entrepreneurs. In fact, probably 
maybe only half or less are actually entrepreneurs. I don't know. I mean, judging from the comments, I would say probably like 50% or less are are actual entrepreneurs. But I see that number growing. I I see the people that are subscribing and I see their channels. And even if they don't have a ton of videos, it's like the name of their business rather than just some random name or something like that with no thumbnail for no profile picture and no videos and all that. So it's exciting to see that more of the entrepreneurs are are starting to come in into it. But because of the entertainment value and because of the fact that it's Shark Tank, it enables, you know, so many more views than I would have probably have otherwise. I want that rev- that ad revenue money as well kind of all flows together in that regard. Yeah. And like you said, having your own products and services and affiliate marketing, those are a couple of good ways to monetize YouTube or a podcast. I'm curious, as far as podcasting goes, what your thoughts are on sponsorships. Paint PETA. <laughs> you know, I, so I've, I've had sponsors over the years. Most of my sponsors, though, I would say 95% of the sponsorships I've done were through the Indie Pod conference, right? So that's where most of my sponsorship money comes out of. I don't like chasing sponsors. I don't like a good friend of mine, Glenn the Geek, who runs the Horse Radio Network down in Florida. He told me back in, I think, 2015, all he does is chase sponsors. He he has 20 podcasts on his network. He's been doing this like, I think, 11 years now or something like that. And most of a lot of his day, even though he runs like a, a radio morning show for horse people, outside of that, he, a lot of his day is spent running and chasing those sponsors down, spent going to the conventions. And yeah, it's like, oh, the horse radio network's here. Hooray. But really what it's about is I get to go beat all the other vendors and, and find out who the new guy is in town or new girls in town. And say, hey, like you can reach this audience and blah, blah, blah. And you know what I mean? Like, so it's more about that. And I just don't really want to spend my time doing that or having to do ad reads. I'd rather give that ad read to my own services, to my own books, my own merchandise and that kind of stuff. Like I, that's just how I'd rather do it. And the other thing is, is until, unless you have a huge audience, those sponsors generally won't want to spend a lot of money uh, unless you're hyper niched, which is why indie, indie podcast conference works for the whole sponsor thing, because they know they're getting in front of a hundred to 200, 300 in person people right there in a small environment where there's only one stage versus and the thing is is we only take on so many sponsors anyway because i it's just so much more work to have to like make sure like okay their logo's got to be here and there and i have smaller sponsorship packages where it makes it easy for me like okay i throw it up on the website i add a facebook post about it and i throw it in a newsletter and like that's fine it's an easy 150 bucks or whatever but once you start talking about like oh they're bringing merch well now they're shipping stuff and it's like oh you know th- can you bring that stuff to a, to, for us and do this and do that. And as a mostly one person operation, it just makes it that much more difficult. And it's like, is the money really worth it? It's not like going from, well, if I have these three sponsors and they're a real pain in the butt, but I'm going to bring in 50 grand from those, just those three sponsors alone, I can afford to like help get some extra help or whatever. Still at the end of the day, make a, a good buck on it to be like really justified. Yeah, I'll make like three, four, five grand, but that's not enough for me to really pace on. I have a couple volunteers, but I, I feel guilty like leaning on them too much and they're not here at my house. So then I still got to pack it up. And then it's just like this whole big thing. So the other thing is, is affiliates, right? I'm a big fan of affiliate links, not a big fan of let me talk about your product on my podcast that will exist forever. And I got paid nothing unless the person that's hearing the message actually uses my link or actually use my short link or anything like that. They might not be the person who actually this thing is for. It might be their friend or their parent or whoever that they know that they tell about, but that doesn't mean they told them about the link. That doesn't mean they actually went to your link. So you're giving Mindshare up and I just not a big fan of that. To me, like, okay, I can add a couple of Amazon links like, boop, 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 and it's there and I can change them tomorrow. I don't have to like, ooh, now I got to go and edit my episode and like re-upload it, which is fine for podcasting, not fine for YouTube because then you're losing all those views and, and all that traction that you had with that video. When I think about sponsors, I like doing things that have a definite 
beginning, middle, and an mm-hmm. end, kind of like how I like my movies, <laughs> and then not so much my TV shows, because I, I actually don't watch many TV shows at all, because they don't generally have a beginning, middle, and end. It's how long can we get you to watch so we can get you to the next episode, so we can all stay in the job, which, hey, great, awesome, you guys did it. I'm not doing that. My wife loves it. She, she watches all those fiction-based TV shows, but I, I do not. I watch movies because they have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it ends, and that's it. That's two hours or an hour and a half or three hours. I don't care how long it is. But yeah, so the point being is is that when you do an event, it's easier for me to to know like, okay, I just have to deal with this until the certain point, right? Or if I'm getting paid up front and then I just spread that message out over time, that's fine. But to be like, oh, we'll give you 20% of whatever you sell. Like the only time I would say it really works like that is if you have a hyper-focused audience, right? That they need blah, blah, blah. And I need a sponsor for that hits that target, right? Like, oh, we're a tea-based podcast. We talk about all kinds of teas and stuff over tea and things. And it's like, I need a tea. Like I'm either creating my own tea, which Hey, go do it because I think you should. Everybody seems to be making their own coffee nowadays. So why not tea? Get yourself either get a really good affiliate deal that you can work with. But ultimately, I think get the money up front because you got to pay for that hosting. You got to pay, you know, and those episodes are going to exist forever. So and I think until you get a certain sized audience, it might not be the best. But one last thought on that, Sarah. One last thought. When you have one person that wants you. More people want you. It's just kind of like dating, right? Nobody wants you until you got somebody. And then all of a sudden, everybody wants you. But if you're early and you have an opportunity to just take a flyer on, on doing an ad read, it doesn't hurt. Do an ad read for something that you already, that, you know, one of your products. Just get used to being good at, at working in ad reads and making them sound natural, making them sound interesting, making them sound as not an ad read as possible, you know? Yeah, those are definitely good points. I appreciate that. That kind of helps me figure out. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) I feel like I didn't get to to fly my frugal flag (laughs) being on a certain (laughs) podcast about certain realities. Okay, so you are a frugalpreneur then. Oh, oh, 110%. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Um, sure, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. If you haven't heard about AppSumo, let me tell you about my friends at AppSumo. (laughs) Right? Anything you can buy once instead of paying every month for, do it. Even if it comes to limitations, get over the limitations. Get through those limitations. I have so many things I've bought through AppSumo because I'm like, ooh, everybody loves Canva. Canva's the thing. Well, guess what? I bought in the Crello because it was 50 bucks one time and I have used the crap out of it, right? I relay that. A friend of mine actually created that service and he had it on AppSumo and I, and I bought into it and I used the crap out of that as well. It just two image opportunities, right? Everybody used Calendly. Well, I was, but I didn't want to pay $10 a month anymore. So what I do, I bought in the tidy cow for 20 bucks. And yeah, there's definitely some limitations there, but it works. It does the job. It, it checks the calendar. It books the calendar. It sends the link. It's all good. And it cost me $20 one time. The only one I haven't gotten into is SendFox from AppSumo because I, some of the reviews were like, my emails weren't getting through to the people I was sending them to. And I was like, mm, yeah, maybe I'll keep paying for AWeber on that for now. But believe me, I want to. I would love to just be like, oh, I'll pay 20 bucks you know, or 50 bucks or whatever, even 100 bucks. I don't care how much it is. It's not about how much it is. It's about how much I don't have to pay going forward, right? Thinking about things like that, always looking for the best bang for the buck, right? Always looking for that open box. Like, can I get that box open box? No, can I get that camera open box? Can I get that laptop open box? I'm a big fan of doing research. A friend of mine once asked, he's like, we were talking about, because we were both big tech heads. And, and he was like, I was like, well, what, what would, you know, what would you do if you had like unlimited money? And, and I, I think actually I would be, kind of unhappy because there wouldn't be as many challenges to solve. And I that's the thing that gets me going is solving problems, finding solutions. They're not problems, they're opportunities for solutions. So coming up with solutions for things. And part of that is figuring out what the best of something is without just buying like, Ooh, you know what? I'll just buy all five cameras because it doesn't matter which one's the best. I'll, f- I'll figure out which one I like the best after the fact. I'll just buy them all. Ooh, I don't have to buy one car. I'll buy all five cars because they all have their own pluses and minuses. But instead of like doing the research and like which one actually has the thing that matters to me and how I shoot or how I drive or how I 
drink bot you drink water out of LTC LTTstore.com water bottles, right? That to me is is part of the fun, it's part of the living, it's part of the challenge of finding what's the best for you and and then making that decision. With that said, as part of being a frugal frugalpreneur here. I return a crap ton of stuff, a, a, like a metric ton. And I, and I hate to admit it, but I mean, my one friend doesn't call me Super Joe Party. He calls me Send It Back <laughs> Joe because I know what I like. And I, and when stuff integrates with how I do things and how I work and how I operate, I'm going to keep it and I'm going to keep it for a while, right? At least until the new one comes out. If the new one has options or things, features or something to that effect that make it. But even then, I'm like, okay, I got to sell my old one. Can I get it open box? Can I get it used? Can I get it? Even if it's like, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks off or, or something like that. Can I wait till I get it on sale? I don't think of myself as like, ooh, how do I spend no money? It's about how do I spend money and get the most for that dollar, right? I'm not adverse to spending money on things, but it's just, can I get it? Ooh, can I get it for 300 bucks off? And maybe I go buy it in Delaware where there's tax-free shopping. It's just one of those things where it's like, you just think about what can I do to, to make the, the most of the money? Like when people are like, Ooh, I bought into Shopify or I built my website on Square. Like I get that Square is not super expensive. I also get that you might not be technically savvy, but if part of your business is running a website, you're trying to do like stuff in the online space, get used to WordPress. Mm-hmm. Get WordPress. It's free. It costs literally dollars a month to host it. Sometimes even less than dollars a month, depending on who's hosting it, right? Get WooCommerce. Like people are like, oh, I got to have this shop and it's got all these fees attached to it. Get WooCommerce. It's free. It works. You got to learn it. It's not easy, but there's YouTube, the greatest university on the planet youtube.com and you go and you figure it out right if it's an integral part of your your business if it's not go to square i still would say go to wordpress because a simple web wordpress website is still going to be way cheaper than paying 10 or 15 dollars a month 20 bucks a month and all these things they all add up and it and it's frustrating because i know how to do this stuff right and people don't and they use the excuse of well i don't know how to do this stuff like okay great you should probably figure it out. If it's an integral part of your business, you should be figuring this out because you're losing money, especially if you have sales out of the gate. I'm losing chunks of money. Now I'm in a position where I have to switch over and it's going to be, I don't have time to learn this stuff. Now you're paying somebody else to build it. And now you're spending two, three, four, five thousand $5,000. So unless you're like really hitting the, you know, doing great out of the gate, it's just one of those things where it's like, slow down. Learn how to build the website. I know it's frustrating, but in the long term, that's where your profit margin is going away too. You're still going to have PayPal or Stripe, and it's still going to be like 3% or 3.2% or whatever at the end of the day. But 3.2% is a lot better than losing 5%, 6%. Some of those offers from other websites are a lot more than that. And it's forever. It's one of those things where it's like, you really got to think about what's the future look like? How important is this website to the success of the business? If it doesn't really matter that much. Either build a free WordPress site. Heck, go to Fiverr and pay somebody a hundred bucks to make the site. At least you're paying a hundred dollars to get a WordPress site that's going to cost you with shared hosting, maybe 15 bucks a year. Your cost there is just immensely cheaper. So there's always a way to do things that doesn't have to be done in a, oh, and now I'm paying forever. One of my friends, well, maybe I shouldn't say Maybe I shouldn't say. I'll just say that there's a website out there that'll help you get your podcast up and and host it on a website and blah blah blah. Does all the things, but it's a hundred bucks a month, and they do a lot for that hundred bucks a month. But because they host the files, they host the the website, they ho- it's all integrated with the analytics and all stuff. Hundred bucks a month sounds great, especially to the person who's like, "Ooh, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to do this thing. Let me go." A hundred bucks a month is nothing. Blah 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 blah. And there's definitely people out there that will pay that and it's not a pro- like because it's just 1200 bucks a year it's not look cable your cable bill is probably at least 100 bucks a year right maybe it's like 60 but even still it's still in the realm of not five bucks a month you know so it's like oh i can justify that okay so you justify it today but then as you get more and more into the podcasting universe you get more and more friendly with technology you get more and more savvy you're like what am i paying 100 bucks a month for like i could have my own wordpress website i probably should have my own wordpress website so it's one of those things where it's like 
that's a thing. And there's a few others out there that do similar things like that service, but it's just something to think about. So you're not locked into, wow, now I got to move everything. Yeah. And I love AppSumo. I actually check their website every day to see the latest deals. (laughs) I get the email like every day. (laughs) Yeah. I bought so many things through there. I actually do use the free version of Synfox, King Sumo, but I've bought a few things through AppSumo as well. And that's interesting, though, that you mentioned about Synfox. I'm going to have to look more into that as far as the Synd. Yeah. I, I, again, I just looked at the reviews and was like, you know, it didn't seem like it had enough features just yet. And I mean, right now with Aweber, I think my, my email list is at a point where I think it's costing me 20 bucks a month. Oh, okay. That's I not think, bad. I don't think it's 30 bucks a month. So it's no, it's not bad because it's also like one of the only things that I pay monthly for. In fact, I just went through after talking with a friend of my, a good friend, like one of my closest friends, we were talking about like all the monthly services and things. And I, I don't pay for many of them to begin with. But once I started adding up the ones that I did pay for, it still came out to like almost a hundred bucks a month. And I was like, yeah, I can get rid of this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. I'm like, oh man, I just saved a hundred bucks a month. That's half of uh, a grocery trip in in, in a hundred bucks. So you sound yeah. a lot like me because that's what I do. Like I try to keep all business expenses below a hundred a month, but now I think I'm down to like 40 to 60 a month. And yeah, I, I try awesome. to use like the free versions of stuff and then only upgrade if I need to. Or if it comes time to upgrade, then shop around, you know. And then like you said, with WordPress, that's what I do. I used to be on like Wix and Weebly and all that. But yeah, WordPress, I think, is the way to go. Plus just the customization that you can do on there as well. Well, they've added so much now, like built right into WordPress. So you don't have to go get like a third party editor or anything like that for pages and stuff. Like you can basically, I mean, it's not the greatest builder. I like it. The builder I use, I like a lot better, WP Bakery. But a lot of people are using Elementor and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, Elementor's fine, but I think it's like 50 bucks, like 40, 50 bucks a month or something. Oh, wow. Or maybe it's 60 bucks a year. I think it's like 60 bucks a year. So it's like, okay, that's not bad. But what, like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, there's, I mean, WordPress has stuff built right in to do it now. I yeah, I definitely am all about the one-time fee things. Like the absolutely the builder I use is Thrive Architect, which at the time when I bought it, I think it was like sixty-nine one-time fee. Now with Thrive Themes and all their different features, now they have it to where you have to pay like nineteen bucks a month. They don't even have the one-time purchase options. So, yeah, so I, got I mean, a lot of software is going away mm. from that one-time fee. And I get it from a business standpoint. It, it makes it really tough to operate when you're, you're not. Cause you're only going to sell it so many times over and over and over again. But I mean, I use B-Theme for my WordPress. It's, it was, I think it's 69 bucks, mm. one-time fee, unlimited updates forever and always. And I think it's, I think B-Theme is the most, the, the best selling WordPress theme out there. Mm. And it's the most comprehensive and includes WP Bakery. So, oh, so for 69 okay. bucks, like I, again, I don't have, a, I'm not averse to spending money. I'm adverse to spending money forever right. unless it's something I'm actively using. But even then, like, let me find the the alternative, right? Let me go find the one time fee. Like, oh, that was a good example. So we had in our repair shop company, we just expanded into a AAA setup where you call us and then we have vendors across the country to go and dispatch out to to help you with your big rig truck, diesel truck. The guy we brought him was like, oh, you know, you, we got to use DocuSign. You gotta, you gotta use DocuSign. I'm like, mm, I went to AppSumo. I found this other <laughs> one. It's, it's, I think it's GrabSign. It's like 20 bucks. It's, I think it was like 20 or 30 bucks. I was like, one time fee. Let's go. So it, it took a little bit to set up, but DocuSign probably would have taken a little while to set up too. Like it's a complicated thing. So once I got it all set up in the way it was supposed to work, I think it's went out like twice. There was a problem with their website where they couldn't log in. And that's been getting close to a year now. So why pay for things over and over and over again? Especially as we grown, we're starting to reduce the amount of vendors that we're taking on because we're covering so much area already. So it's going to be one of those things where it's like, we're still going to need a document signer at some point. But we're not going to need it as as we did the first like six months where we were signing on a ton of people, you know, and needed those documents. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah, whatever you can get for free or one time fee, so you don't you don't have to keep paying. I would say the only thing that you definitely should be paying monthly for is like your WordPress hosting, your email service provider, mm-hmm. and 
if you're a podcaster, then you're podcast hosting. I mean, the only other thing I really pay for on a monthly basis is Descript. I don't know if you're familiar with it or have used it, but... I think I've heard of that. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. Yeah, it makes... I'll challenge you. I'll I'll challenge you on the podcast hosting side. Oh, okay. So I host my podcast through my my web host using PowerPress, uh, the PowerPress plugin through... You don't have to use Blueberry's hosting services to use PowerPress. And I've hosted it for, I don't know, seven years now. Yeah. Uh, and never had a problem. No matter how many downloads I've got. Okay. I've- I use DreamHost as my host. Some hosts won't let you host MP3 files like Bluehost. Unless they've changed their policy, do not let you do that. So it's something to note. And it's a little more complicated than like having an all-in-one what you're paying for. But I, I haven't paid for hosting for my podcast ever no. outside of paying for my website hosting. Okay. Yeah. I use SiteGround for my website hosting. I don't know if they let MP3s or I'll have to not. check on that. Yeah. I would check on that. If it's a, if it's a thing like you can easily, they have built in tools like move your RSS feed hmm. over and stuff yeah. in PowerPress. Yeah. I'm familiar with PowerPress, but I guess I, for some reason I thought it was just a player versus I didn't know it hosted your files. So that's interesting. I'll have to look mm-hmm. into that. So it doesn't host, well, it can host the files through Blueberry, but what it does is, is it just points to where the file is. Uh, so like if you go to superjoeparter.com slash pod, P-O-D, that's every MP3 file from the, you know, all 410 episodes or whatever it is of the podcast are right there. So I'm just point each post to that. I point the power, like each post I make in WordPress, there's a spot where to point for the file. And that's where I point it to. And then that routes it through their analytics, which their analytics are free or $5 a month hmm. and you get more details and stuff, which I was paying for that for the longest time. But since the YouTube channel has really taken off, it's well surpassed where my podcast is gone. Hmm. It's just, I'm just like, eh, I'll come back around to it if the podcast starts to get any kind of real more downloads. But that's even comparable to what's going on over on YouTube side. I'll pay the five bucks. It's not a big deal. They're big supporters of IndiePod and good friends with Todd and, and Mackenzie over there and Mike Dell. And they're great people. It's just right now, it's just like, eh, it's just five bucks a month that I don't need to be spending. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And again, it is superjoepardo.com, indieconference.org. And then I'll have links to your podcast, your YouTube channel, and various other things we mentioned, your books at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Joe Pardo. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Super Sarah. I'm happy to be here and I appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun and and thanks for letting me get to to geek out on (laughs) on being frugal and and my other AKA Send It Back Joe (laughs) that I don't know that I've ever mentioned on any other (laughs) podcast, but if I'm going to mention on one, this is probably the one to do it on. So thank you for that. (laughs) Uh, No problem. Now I'm going to start calling you Send It Back Joe and people won't know what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Andre, Andre, if you're listening at this point, if you know, he knows, he knows what's up. Be sure to grab your free copy of my list of 27 tools, resources, and software programs I use to run my businesses on a tight budget. You can get it at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash 27 tools. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash 27 tools. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack, connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.